0: Hi and welcome to African Joe Paddy. My name is Ife and I am recording from a cold Staffordshire <laughs> and today we will be talking about maritime crimes. Hello
1: I'm Dehia Bilhabib and I'm recording from rainy and cold Vancouver in British Columbia in Canada and uh, I'm really happy to be here and talk about uh, maritime crimes with ife more explicitly fisheries crimes um which is any sort of illicit activity and i'm really happy to use the word illicit because if really it <laughs> uh, on board fishing vessels and by fishing companies
0: at sea okay so obviously i mean given that um like the, the sort of the title of our, of, of our podcast being African Jeopardy." we know that um, a lot of this illicit activities that goes on in the maritime domain happen in, in the African continent. A lot of you might be familiar with the things that go on off the coast of Aden and around the Somali area. Of, our, of course, in recent times, because of the number of incidences we've had about, off the coast of um, the Gulf of Guinea in Western Central Africa. And so we felt that it it is really important for us to talk about it in our next podcast, just to shed a light on the different aspects or the different components of, of illicit activities at sea and how it not only undermines the security of the people that use the maritime domain, but that of the states, the region, and, of course, the human security of of everyone else um, affected.
1: Exactly. Africa is definitely a hot spot, and uh, fisheries crimes are a hot topic right now. And they have been for quite some time, actually, but the definitions are really tricky and, if I may say, quite confusing. um, Many people would think that fisheries crimes are a matter of illegal fishing. More uh, fancily called... IUU, which I really don't like, I don't like that term, IUU, illegal and reported and unregulated fishing, <laughs> um, I really don't like it because it's undermining the whole scope of it. I like fisheries crimes because it includes basically everything, and I think that illegal fishing, basically, typically, or especially foreign illegal fishing, should be criminalized and should be considered a transnational crime, actually, environmental crime and a transnational one. Um but in this, we really mean everything that has to do with like drug trafficking, in addition to IUU, um, drug trafficking, human trafficking, um, um, you know, any contraband trafficking uh, as well, along with tax evasion, money laundering, everything that happens on board these fish vessels, piracy, and how actually, um, or what we think, if and I, and I think we're on the same, um, we're on the same kind of. Um, uh, thinking or train of thought here that sometimes it's a matter of crime but sometimes it's a matter of criminalization of people who didn't have any other choice. That happens in Africa actually but it also happens elsewhere. It's just that because we're African Jeopardy and the crime or the ge- geographics and the dynamics of crime varies from one continent one place to another but we concentrate on Africa because it's definitely definitely a hot spot.
0: Yes, I mean, that is uh, absolutely correct, and in terms of thinking about the criminalization of of activities at sea, I think before we actually get to that, it would be very important to sort of maybe share some examples of how some of these illicit activities present themselves at sea i I know that you've already pointed out that you don't like the notion or the idea of the description of of of, of crimes like illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing as IEU, the way it's described but you prefer it as, as the, I mean the description of, of, of the crime as um, fisheries crime rather than IuU. but at the same time I find obviously I want to sort of talk about what I find in the general notion if we for example were talking about illicit crime at sea that you find that the emphasis, unless of course you're familiar with um, what goes on in the fishery sector or yeah, when it comes to the fishery sector, you find that when you talk about illicit activities at sea, the first thing that comes to mind, especially those in, in in the in the shipping industry, is basically incidences of piracy and robbery at sea. The first thing they describe, and and very, I mean, the the idea of um, illegal reported on non-regulated fishing, for example, comes quite low in 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 the description of of incidences or something that describes illicit crime at sea in the region, especially in Western Central Africa or even when the Gulf of Aden is involved. And so I feel that perhaps it would be interesting for us to actually give a general oversight of how some of these threats present or some yeah how some of these threats present and how best to sort of identify them or what we feel should be the best way of addressing some of the issues relating to illicit activities at sea in the African continent. And so I wonder. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I just wanted to sort of add that um, in, in describing what we feel might be a very important tools in addressing some of these issues, because we also know that unfortunately um, countries in, in, in the African continent do not always have the best tools in terms of, um, being able to sustainably ensure the the safety of the maritime domain or their respective maritime domain and so when actually the first time i i i heard about the spyglass which is the tool that was that has been developed by my co-presenter here and mm-hmm. and her organization and of course she's going to talk a lot more about it i was quite excited because i felt that okay this is actually a very cost effective way of sort of making the work of people that works in the maritime sector in in the continent a lot easier in that they would be able to easily just by logging in online to identify vessels that are serial offenders and obviously have something to look out for but at the same time have a better understanding of how this, I mean, the trend in that some of these vessels might actually be able to change their names and engage in different kinds of crimes. So I feel that obviously in talking about maritime crimes today or illicit maritime crime today, we'll also be able to shed more light on what we feel might be some of the ways of sort of controlling or resolving the issues of which the spyglass, which has been recently launched by my colleague here and our organization, is um, a very important tool that will be useful for stakeholders working in the region. So be here.
1: Yes, Um, yeah, Spyglass. So it really stems from, so it's a platform, like some media outlets, uh, assume it's an app. It's actually a platform. We don't have an app for it yet, working hard on that. Um, but yeah, it's basically the idea really stemmed from the notion that uh, fishing crimes, not only illegal fishing, are actually widespread, more widespread than, for example, piracy. Like you will find illegal fishing, for example, there's no country in the world that I find at least that has no illegal fishing. Every single country in the world. It does not matter the level of development, it does not matter the level of enforcement or they have to enforce. The regulations, the fisheries regulations or laws, narco trafficking, etc. It does not matter. There will always be, whenever there is a coastline, fishing-related crimes or illegal fishing, etc. Um, that being said, the tools um, with regards to enforcement vary from one region to another, and. Um, We find that, for example, along the the West African or the East African coast, for that matter, um, that these enforcement tools really lack. In some countries, they have one boat that is operational, and that boat doesn't go go often at sea to monitor the waters. Um, Some countries use AIS, um, but AIS has its issues uh, when it comes to court and prosecution. Um, Some countries have drones. um, Some countries have... You know um frigates depends it really depends but it doesn't matter at the end of the day the crime will always happen it's basically like red lights and speeding there and, and or cutting the red light basically like cutting stop sign or anything basically it will happen it happens as long as there's opportunity to do it as long as there are people that are driven to criminality um or people in necessity because they're not always criminals there will be the opportunity of doing so And Spyglass stems from also the assumption and the notion, not only the assumption, but the notion that there's a lack of information sharing within this field. Um, And the databases that already exist, such as um, the well-compiled TMT Trigmat Tracking uh, IUU list, which compiles lists from various, um, from various regional fisheries management bodies, um, is it's really short and it's because a vessel is not blacklisted before consensus by everybody or every country represented within that RFMO. It's not easy. For every one vessel that's listed, there, there must be hundreds that are not. And that's actually what we show, we show with Spyglass, sorry, that there are only 320-ish vessels listed under that blacklist, uh, the IUU list, combined IUU list. We have 6,000. Under spyglass. Not every vessel has a name. We're working on that. But the vessels are named, and the companies that are named, we have nearly four, uh, four 4,500. So it's massive. It's actually massive, uh, more than 10 times higher than what's already listed. It's not blacklisted. Uh, not every vessel that is in there, this is just for disclaimer purposes, take it for face value. Uh, it does not imply criminality, um, but it's Basically, gathering the information whenever a vessel has been indicted for some reason or a company has been indicted for some reason. So um, it really comes in to increase the transparency and remove the lack and remove the, the the opacity around this kind of information. If a vessel comes to your waters, for example, to request a license, um, it's better to know whether the vessel or the company is high risk. And you can know that by looking up um, the past activities of the vessel on Spyglass or the company. Obviously, Spyglass does not list skippers yet. Uh, it's something that we're considering. But a big, nice picture would be that uh, there is the vessel, the company names, and also the skipper name listed in there, basically. So people can access the information for absolutely free. Um, there is, For the public, there is no even a logging needed. We do have some information that are only uh, accessible for authorities, especially when this information is sensitive. Um, but most of the information is publicly available and does not require a login.
0: And I really think that um, obviously this is a very important tool for countries to have, especially again countries in 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 the African continent and, and every other region. It could be the Bay of Bengal region or the, or the Sulu and seas, although they, a lot of the countries there have more in terms of assets, but this is an important tool to have in that they can log in and then look at the vessels that operate in their region to see if any of those vessels that has been implicated for engaging in any illicit activities equally um, operates in their region. That sort of gives them an easy, I guess, an easy way of having something or knowing what to look out for, what vessel to to look out for. And so, I mean, if you're not already um, familiar with, with the two or the website, I wonder if you want to share um, the website, exactly the name of the website with our listeners and, and they might be interested in checking it out here.
1: Yes, uh, f- of course. It's very easy to actually retain it. Spyglass, in one word, dot fish. Spyglass, dot fish. It's very easy to retain and, and, and remember for that purpose actually. Um, It's really amazing as well. Uh, You can actually see various types of crime uh, by just selecting and deselecting what you wanna see. So you do actually uh, have the opportunity to see the patterns and where certain types of crime prevail versus others. For example, and what I find really fascinating is um, for the past decade, basically since 2010, Um, And what I find really fascinating is to see how, for example, illicit drug trade spreads in time and space uh, since 2010. And the reason behind that, I believe, and we have written a paper about this, um, is because of enforcement and armed enforcement. Basically, drug traffickers are really good at diversion strategies by using increasingly fishing vessels as a vector uh, of crime or as the drug mules, especially small-scale fishermen on their boats, um, and by using more spaces on newer developed roads. So you could actually see, and we do not necessarily show the types of drugs on Spyglass, you can actually click and read what the note says, um, but you can actually see that, for example, in Latin America, um, um, uh, cocaine is the most traded drug and then you go on the east on the west african coast you will find that marijuana is the most especially uh, like northern west northwestern africa like morocco spain well spain is not in africa but you see what i mean that region there and then you go to east africa and it's heroin on board the daos um that are coming from pakistan iran um uh india even etc and then you know like in china you have more uh uh, what we call poly drugs, basically um, and some of those actually end up on the west coast of Canada where we have mm-hmm. a massive issue of overdose so fishing vessels are really a newer vector like less risky for drug traffickers in fact mm-hmm. one of the most notorious drug traffickers in China for example his name is Faye um, uh, uses fishing vessels and one story that I found really fascinating is that one of his officers went to i believe australia and bought a recreational fishing boat just for like um, hundreds of thousands of dollars just to transport drugs drugs they were caught eventually but still large, um, i believe um but fishing vessels are used more and more as a factor of crime for for illicit drug trade at sea because it's less risky and again just the fact that we're not considering that illegal fishing is a crime is really dangerous here because when um, authorities board a boat they either search for something or the other when it comes to IUU or for example illicit drug trade so when for example the operations that happen um in east africa for example when they board the DAO, they look for drugs they don't necessarily look for (coughs) illegal fishing or fishing with an illegal gear or whether you know like um uh, the the species that they caught were too small they don't necessarily look for that and i really wonder Uh, whether if they did, they would find something. The paper that we wrote recently, um, we found that there was no direct links between IUU, illegal fishing offenses per se, and the drug trade because there was no offenses related to fisheries um, Mm -hmm. when a boat was boarded. Mm -hmm. um, In this case, over 300 times, or 300 boats have been boarded um, to search for drugs. So I wonder whether, if they looked for something else, would they have been uh, would they have been finding um, illegal fishing activities as well, like mesh size, illegal you know shark finning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know. They have not necessarily been linking one and two together there.
0: So actually, that is an interesting point to make, and this also brings us to the reason why. I mean, it's very important for the harmonization of the activities of respective maritime agencies in Africa, since we're talking about the African continent in this case. Why? Because it means that if, for example, um, the MCS, that is the Monitoring, Surveillance, and Control Unit of, 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 um, of any country is engaging in patrol to see whether a vessel is engaging in illegal activities in illegal fishing activity, they will not only have the authorization to look for or look out for what looks like illegal fishing, but they can also have the authorization to look for all the related illicit activities. Because it is probable, because obviously the paper you've written, it is probable that they might not have found any relationship because they are not looking for illicit drugs. They were solely looking for illegal fishing. So it would be very interesting to actually see the paper the reason why I say this is because I know that there was this recent paper that was uh, is a report by I think it was commissioned by the U- USAID, aid yeah. Um, yeah about fishing in Ghana. This is actually artisanal small scale fisheries in Ghana, and they found that obviously evidence of depletion and this is kind of trying to bring back the relationship between depleting fisheries or depleting maritime. Resource, well, depleting marine resources and increasing incidences of um, maybe illicit crime in the region, but not directly related to, say, piracy and robbery at sea, but this one is related to um, illegal oil bunkering, for example, or even illicit drugs using small-scale fisheries or small-scale fisheries. And so they found that despite the fact that fisheries, in terms of the contribution of the small-scale fisheries sector is reducing, right, yeah. Over since, I mean, for a couple of years now, that the contribution of uh, small-scale fisheries is reducing, that the number of boats, the number of boats is increasing. And so in trying to analyze this trend, obviously, I, I, I have been in the field for a while in the past like, the past six weeks. Yeah. So they found in terms of talking to stakeholders to understand why exactly is this the case? What's happening with this? And, and they found that potentially that it is not because these new boats are being used for fishing, but because they are being used to engage in illicit, either illicit oil bunkering or illicit drug trafficking. Yes, and so,
1: there is definitely a need Um, to engage in those sorts of of activities and the opportunity of doing so, I guess.
0: Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Why I think, uh, based on the fact that potentially vessels might present to be doing A when in actual fact they want to do B. And so it is actually very important for um, the relevant maritime agencies in the region to harmonize what they are doing, to work together. So that it wouldn't be that the MCS officer, for example, will only come here and can only look for illegal fishing. But even if they were working there and they do not have the power, they might be working or engaging with, say, a naval officer or a coast guard that will have the, the, the sort of the authorization to look beyond just illegal fishing. That way they can work together and they can also be able to identify links because they do exist where fishing vessels has been used for either um, human trafficking, in cases of human trafficking, illicit drug trafficking, or even in cases of in-arms trafficking. Because obviously, unfortunately, due to the porosity of the maritime domain of countries in the continent, owing to very poorly resourced, navies and coast guards, you find that, unfortunately, criminals take advantage of of these um, weaknesses. And in cases, for example, where country A might be able to sort of strengthen its maritime borders, what you end up seeing or what you end up, yeah, what you end up seeing is that the criminals move to country B. And when yeah. country B threatens, they go to country C. And so this tells you that what is needed is a collective response to um, illicit activities at sea rather than countries individually trying to strengthen their, well, it's obviously important for them to individually strengthen their, uh, the capacity of their maritime enforcement agencies and then work together as a collective. Because yes. obviously the crimes at sea in the continent is transboundary in nature.
1: Yes, not only always collective response at sea, but also actually uh, addressing the symptoms on land as well, because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not a matter of criminals doing the crimes, uh, but it's a matter of poor people being criminalized. For example, as you mentioned, exactly as you mentioned, depletion um, and what I call non inclusive conservation strategies drive desperate people um, to choose other ven- avenues to, you know, for, for um, revenue, basically. And one of them, in a particular case of drug trafficking, is actually engaging um, or becoming a drug mule. Uh, not mm-hmm. always by choice, that being said, again, like mm-hmm. some, and we do find that. Um, There are a lot of small-scale fishermen, and they're engaging using their small-scale boats um, in illicit drug trade, not because they're drug lords, but because they have no other choice. And I'm measuring my words here. They have no other choice. Um, It's a matter they have been excluded from their adjacent waters um, as stewards or as fishermen. Um, They have experienced major depletion because the state has failed in addressing that issue by allowing, for example, users from the outside, like foreign fishing, etc. And they are prone to be within a conflict region. When I say a conflict region, basically, they are prone to, you know, be exposed to drug lords, they are prone to be in, like, prey to drug lords, um, um, and the latter are likely to use them as drug mules, whether forcefully or you know, under the disguise of choice, which they often don't really have. Um, And so there is, yes, armed enforcement, may maybe. Um, There is definitely a need for building capacity and increasing uh, enforcement at sea. But as you mentioned, diversion strategies, like going from one country to another, using one type of boat and another, um, you know, using different times, different people, different levels, different sectors, different companies, all stems from actually, you know, like when you shut down one road, three others will open up. And that's what we see in, uh, in drug trade in this paper, because um, there is a lack of addressing other issues um, in parallel, which are not necessarily... Um, driven by enforcement, but there are issues of depletion and conservation that comes up and just shut down, shuts down a whole entire area for people um, that have not been consulted. Basically, uh, no alternative livelihoods are offered. So you end up actually helping. Uh, well, not you. <laughs> you might know what I mean. Uh, basically, we end up helping. Um, that diversion strategy, if you will, because you know you shut down, for example, shipping uh, a shipping route. You open without necessarily looking and building capacity, as you mentioned, actually of like agencies that enforce MCS agencies, monitoring trans surveillance agencies of fisheries. Then what's going to result in is that, that fish and more fishing vessels are going to be involved in the drug trade and and other illicit or contraband trade as well, like you know um, heavy fuels, weapons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, I think that it's really important, as you mentioned, to increase capacity at sea, but also address the symptoms of why this is happening at the first
0: place. Oh, absolutely. And and which is actually why, in in especially now, that I guess you can put it this way, that African countries are becoming quite excitable or sort of very excited with the idea of a blue economy. Because when you talk to someone from the region working in the sector, they kind of talk about the need to develop the, the maritime economy in the interest of, obviously, the development of the people and, and developing the economy. But at the same time, you find that in trying to do this, the focus seems to be so much on oil exploration without, I mean, this is, I mean, based on some of the examples I've seen in recent time with with very very limited focus on things that can actually have direct impact in improving the livelihood of coastal communities and so therefore i feel that especially when we take into account what has happened in the gulf of aden primarily in somalia and what has happened in places like the niger delta or what is still happening in the niger delta region the conflict that has happened in kabinda in Angola, this is oil producing um, nations. What is going on in Cameroon with um, the anglophone, it will be very fully for any government or even any, anybody to think that they can talk about securing the maritime domain of the African continent without addressing the issue of inequality, um, social injustice on land. Because for some people, that have kind of felt the need to one, maybe engage in criminalities, or two, actors as lookout, or three, knowing the risk, willingly allowing themselves to be trafficked. For them to actually get to the point that they want to do these things means that one, they just want to build resilience to their vulnerabilities, and their government is not providing an option. Therefore, yeah. they are taking the powers into their hands. And so this is the difference between a lot of the cases, a lot of the insecurities, a lot of the, the, the problems we're facing in, in the African continent, especially in the maritime domain, because you find that there is a link between what is happening on land and the continuation or the perpetuation of insecurity at sea. So it, it will be very foolish. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in totality here. It will be very foolish for anybody to think that Securing the maritime domain ends, ends with enforcing the capacity or enhancing the capacity of the relevant security agencies or working collectively, as we're seeing in, increasingly, which is great, but they have to then complement that by ensuring that resources that is being extracted from coastal communities actually is used to improve their welfare. Yes, that is very important.
1: Yeah, I, I would just like to add something here for our readers I mean especially those who are going to find our listeners problem. right Yeah, <laughs> our readers. oh my god okay. Um, uh, okay our listeners our listeners, uh, <laughs> listeners dear listener uh, just think about put yourselves in the shoes um, um, of people here put yourself in the shoes of that fisherman who has been caught and jailed um, because he trafficked, let's say, 25, kilo, 25 kilograms of, of marijuana um, up, or, or cocaine, for that matter, off the coast of Guinea-Bissau, for example. Just put yourself in his shoes for one second there. Um, or in Latin America, for that matter. It doesn't matter what they are. That guy, um, it's usually a guy, not a woman. So I'm being here like very much gender aware. Um, that guy has let's say six kids some people are going to say why did he have six six kids start with you know like with all climate change and blah blah well that's not of our business is it that guy has six kids uh has does not necessarily have a house he lives like with a massive like household of like uncles aunts, people etc like really precarious situation has barely anything like no he doesn't know whether he could bring uh, food for his kids Uh, At night, which is the only meal that they have. And then some day, a drug lord shows at his door with an AK 47, knocks at the door, and tells him, I have an opportunity for you. You make $25 a year in fishing, or, or, and I'm not exaggerating actually, um, or $300 a year in fishing. Um, And I can give you $500 if you transport this bag from here to point B. Um, where you 're going to meet with a boat and i 'm going to give you five hundred dollars, which is like more, in one day, which is more than you can make during the year, and your kids are going to have something to eat and the guy again, the drug lord or the drug trafficker whatever, has an a k forty seven around his shoulder and looks very scary, and you have your kids behind yelling, kicking, screaming, you know what you know laughing, whatever kids do. what would you do what would <laughs> You know, like, are you going to, to, to go on your high horse and say, absolutely not. I am not going to engage in that kind of activity whatsoever and be shot in front of your kids and your kids with you. Or, um, and I, again, I'm not stereotyping here that everybody is in the same basket, but this is an actual case that happens. An actual case that happens. So when this guy gets caught and jailed, and then a massive picture of his little boat is put in the newspapers as a spotlight like look at uh, what our navy has actually caught a criminal that's just something that i would like to put out there and how important it is to for us to consider that it's not only about enforcement but there's a bigger picture there as well. It's, yes, it's enforcement and building capacity, but also understanding why this happens in this place. There are also big boats that are doing this. There are companies that are involved. There are like money, money lenders, drug traffickers, et cetera, et cetera. But in the big scheme of things, it's not only about drug trafficking, obviously. Uh, it's also about illegal fishing as Spyglass covers. And illegal fishing also follows the same pattern. When you no longer are able to fish, Within an area that you have fished for generations, your father, your grandfather, etc., and out of the sudden, some big organization comes in, does not consult you, and says, "Because we have to respond to a certain UN objective of protection of the sea, which is great to have, but it needs to be yeah. process creating those protected areas, for example." And in many, yes they do not consult with the people that are most affected in the communities that are most vulnerable, who have no other means of sub- subsisting, basically.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, that is, that is, I guess, in a real world, that is the reality a lot of these people face. And whilst not encouraging or condoling criminality, this is why, um, sort of trying to improve or ensure maritime safety and security in the African continent have to be complemented with improving the livelihoods of the people in coastal communities and ensuring that in trying to develop and obviously um, generate revenue for the countries in, in the continent, that they do not undermine the human security and the livelihoods of these people. That is actually very, very important. And, and, and I feel that we see these things, I mean, certain countries, I will use my home country, Nigeria, as an example, have made mistake in this regard. And I hope that moving forward, that they're able to, in obviously in the future investment in the maritime sector, especially the idea of um, the blue economy, as they continue to explore for oil as they continue to invest in infrastructure that allow them to um, extract more resources from, from either the offshore or in, in particular in the United Delta area. Or even now that they have discovered oil in the north, communities, the host communities are taken care of. Otherwise, what you find is that they are indirectly Preparing the agitators of tomorrow, the people that would undermine the national security of Nigeria and the, and and the, the neighbors, they are preparing the agitators of tomorrow today by not ensuring that the well-being of those communities are affected. For, I'm sorry, accounted for. It is not just about just coming and extracting resources and generating the revenue to run your country, but then undermining. The long term sustainability of the people that have depending on, depended on certain resources in those regions for subsistence. And this is also a problem why I feel personally I have a problem with this continued notion of what I describe as um, buying peace, whereby mm-hmm. obviously, with what we see happening in the Niger Delta area, and obviously, in trying to sort of make sure that the agitators or the militants shield their swords. the government had to grant amnesty, which is fine. And then they had to pay for this peace. And they have continued to pay for this peace. I mean, as of 2017, Nigeria, every year, Nigeria pay over $111 million a year, million dollars a year to service, you know, for the, for the amnesty as part of the amnesty. I mean, I know that if this money was invested or were to be invested in some of the communities I've visited in the course of my research, I don't think, I don't think that in the next 10 years, I mean, I'm saying this as, as a rational human being, that if this money is to be invested in these communities, I don't think in the next 10 years that we are going to have some of the problems that we currently have in terms of insecurity in that region. This is me based on what I've seen and how I have observe in terms of my interaction and the research I've done so far on how some of the inability of some of these people to meet um, their daily needs might, might have either tempted them to either act as lookouts or take feel from vandalized pipelines. Note, they are not the vandalizers, but they are taken from vandalized pipeline, whatever that means if they had the support from the state of the right infrastructure were in place so i feel that this is also something that not only the nigerian government should be looking at but all the oil producing countries in the african continent should be very careful and learn this from the nigerian mistakes so that they don't end up in the future Having to service the accounts of disenfranchised youths or service the palms or grease the palms of disenfranchised youths because they are trying to get them to shield their swords. They should rather start now in thinking about how the investments they are making in certain regions is actually going to be translated or reflected in improving the livelihoods of the communities they are extracting these resources from. Otherwise, I mean, it's, it's really not looking quite good. Yeah, I wonder
1: wonder in the current context of politics, actually, that's even, um, that's even doable as, you know, I'm talking about institutional instability uh, and Mm -hmm. the agendas of politicians in the region. Um, and it's very sad to say, but everyone comes with their own agenda, um, Mm -hmm and everyone thinks that what's most visible um, in terms of revenues and profits and and benefits um, is what could be justified basically. In this particular context, um, we're talking about industrialized um, visible activities versus um, a a theoretical, as long as they are, are concerned, it's a theoretical concept of investing in the future you know, they may not be able to see that. They probably do not see that, um, the politicians of today, at least in the region, of how it's actually important to make the smart decisions today, um, to divest, if you will, in the criminality of tomorrow, basically. No,
0: actually I I feel I feel that if if, if no other nation sees that, Nigeria sure does see it. I mean the past few years, how many, how many, I mean, unless these numbers have been inflated, in the first half of 2019, Nigeria lost over $1.6 billion to fuel um, um, oil theft. Yes. This is a lot of money. And so we know that, of course, this has to, I mean, it's not just about criminality from by, by the small criminals, but there no. is obviously elite involvement. But at the same time, there has been, very big cases of pipeline vandalization, situations where pipelines has been targeted by by militants, pipelines belonging to multinational oil companies, which means that it sort of puts potential investors off investing in Nigeria. So I'm sure that the government understand the need to do the right thing, and which is why I said that, as they are increasingly becoming aware of this whole idea of harnessing the resources in their maritime domain in the interest of the development of their nations or economic development, I hope that in line with Agenda 2063 of the African Union that they at least actually make sure that they use the resources, including the oil extracted from offshore, or even through maritime tourism investment in the transport sector uh, or or other, even fisheries and research and energy, that they actually use it for the sustainable development of their people and not just think about economic growth. Because economic growth, without taking into account the environment and social inclusion, is what has gotten certain countries. I mean, some of the conflict we have in in, in, in the in the continent. I know I can talk to you about the, the, the problem in Angola with Cabinda is linked yeah. to people feeling disenfranchised despite the fact that there's oil and yet the unemployment level there is over 60%. How do you explain that? And so, yeah, I, I understand that the politics is there, but I feel that we've gotten to the point in the continent where it is no longer acceptable for governments to ignore how their actions is affecting not just the people but even the national security of a country the the region and the continent at large they cannot continue to ignore it it's actually unacceptable
1: i think it has been unacceptable for quite some time um i'm I'm like more of a negative there it has been unacceptable for quite some time for so many reasons yeah. Um, we're not talking only about, you know, the lack of governance, the fact that de- economic development is more visible and hence easier to justify than, you know, investing in sustainability or even when investing in theory in sustainability, you know, like we create paper parks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is also, we're talking about the, the, the level of corruption and um, which reminds me actually, like, and this is a very good example about economic development, sustainability and criminality and corruption, rod files. Um, the Icelandic company that has—I don't—I don't know if you heard about it—was it, um, it was in the
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in the news recently. Uh, rod files, Samharji, I believe the name of the company from Iceland, which is an Icelandic massive um, uh, company that has bribed uh, for over ten million dollars um, some Namibian officials. Um, oh yeah. To yeah. get access, and we're talking here about. Sus- the most or recognized as the most sustainable um or or the most i don't know how to put this in words but basically the best management way according to some Mm -hmm. scientists and researchers for fisheries, which is ITQs, individual transferable quotas and individual quotas in Namibia, yeah. for one of the cases. And that's what we're talking about, sustainability here. We're also talking about economic development because fisheries in Namibia is a vector of development. They're very mm-hmm. supposedly very well managed, etc. They're rebuilding. We've seen that. And yet, and yet, that is my point here. So I think that economic development has always been A vector in Africa for you know to say we're developing our nation, we're bringing in more money for our people. We're doing it, but undermining sustainability. Even though sustainability, economic uh, sustainability, and economic development may be um, may bring in a slower economic development, it's still going to bring in a sustainable economic development. And I agree with you in that. But we have been seeing this pattern for quite some time, whether in Nigeria or elsewhere. Um, and if I see it from another lens, not only like oil uh, or drugs, etc., cetera, um, it's actually increasing. And I'm mm-hmm. not seeing like th- there is more awareness. There is more pressure by the people. Um, but I don't see how foreign investments are still discouraged or are discouraged or anything. Actually, I'm seeing like more increase. Um, the European Union denying any favoritism when it comes to like Sanctions because they are more interested in trade with another country. The pressures that countries feel uh, from other countries, more developed states, uh, in getting into trade with them and and hence bringing in foreign investment, etc. The meddling by developed nations in the politics of other countries, such as what's going on now um, in Algeria, etc. I think that I would love to say that I there is a wave of or a wind of change. Um, but I just don't see that happening yet. I just don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just don't. And I think that it's a very doomy and gloomy picture and, and something to say, but um, we need to talk more and more about this actually, this aspect that sustainability um, is not necessarily disguised in, uh, as a pile of money. You know, um, Bringing in more cash does not bring in more sustainability or afford, like, bring bringing more resilience to people. Uh, resilience sometimes means investing in the people themselves, in the local people themselves. You know, like blanket rules or blanket targets, such as the ones mm-hmm. who said like 30% of marine protection by this year and this year should be, I, I agree with those, but they should be well thought through inclusive processes where people have a voice, which in Africa, I think we both know they don't.
0: hmm So that's the point I'm trying to make. We don't give people the choice and the chance. And when things like this happen, for example, if we want to talk about the MPA, um, that is Marine Protected Area, you designate an area as a Marine Protected Area, you do not find an alternative for the people that have fished there traditionally for hundreds of years or for generations. And yes. then you do not somehow compensate them or support them, and you just say to your tent. Yes, you know. What do you think happened? Yes, Th- this? please carry on.
1: Sure, sorry. And even beyond that, like when creating the marine protected area, it does not mean that everybody has to be excluded from there. Like we like the notion mm-hmm. of no-take zones, but sometimes in a marine protected area. Um, there might be, like, we see this, like a very good example of this, is the park national uh, the, the National park of the Bande d'Argain in Mauritania, which has been shown to be rebuilding fish trucks, and yet there are people allowed to be fishing there. Those people have been included in the decision-making process, the Imuragan people, basically. Those people have used fishing, certain fishing technique, for generations, and they had to revert to that fishing technique to be able to fish in the park again. And even though fishing operations are allowed in the park, certain forms of fishing operations, the fact that it has been, the process has been inclusive of the people and certain types of gears, et cetera, has driven the marine protected area to be not only socially, not only to be uh, biologically productive, so the stocks are allowed to rebuild, but also socioeconomically um, um, uh, productive as well. People are happy and fish are happy at the end of the day. So it's not only about, um, only about allowing, yes, there, there should be allowed alternatives, obviously. Like, I completely agree with that. Yes, alternatives should be present. The state has to invest in alternatives as well. They have to find ways, for example, for increased um, you know, education, et cetera, to allow for better uh, livelihood options. Not better, but like more alter, uh, livelihood options, but also the process has of creating a human protected area has to be inclusive and realistic. We should not just advertise for no-take zones because they're good. You know, we mm-hmm. can see some no-take zones have a high level of criminality in them. You create a no-take zone with no enforcement ability. You have people oh, yeah. who are going to fish there, you're just creating a ghost. You're killing someone and creating a ghost and the ghost is going to be there basically. And, and so yes, alternative livelihoods, building the resilience of communities, but also thoughtfully designated green areas or thoughtful, thoughtful processes. Inclusive processes yeah, and it's amazing how we just went from like really gloomy and doomy situations, like more, you know, hope driven conclusion here, right?
0: Yeah, I know. But I, I guess, but that is, that is the sad reality of, of discussion around um, maritime or marine environment or even anything involving coastal communities in the African continent. Because you find that a lot of the time, these are people that are far removed, people that are already vulnerable. And in certain instances, unless there is any direct relationship between the facts or what is happening, again, like I said, the the niger delta example you find that they don't really their voice doesn't really matter in some instances and so it is very important for us to talk about these things and i think that we have ended up somehow going round and round the garden but i'm I'm not really sure if we have done justice to the topic as much (laughs) as we would have loved to but i'm i'm happy that we got round to talking about the very um, important issues and also in talking about um, sustainability and the example you gave with Iceland and the point you made about investment and whether it is just about the economy or taking into account the environment is just a reality that we know has to change because what you end up doing or what ends up happening if, if we continue with this culture, perpetrating this culture of unsustainability, is that you end up creating more people that are in poverty, that needs help, that, get, that, that might end up getting to the point that they are willing to do anything it takes to stay alive or to subsist and when anybody gets to that level in their life i mean there's no knowing what they can do and this is why again this is kind of trying to recap the point that to be able to reduce criminality even for from the smaller level in the maritime domain in the continent we have to start addressing issues of injustices inequality on land because sometimes all these things are things that start manifesting on land that then come to to the sea and although at the end of the day in terms of the bigger crimes that the elites are involved of course we know that but we're talking about the bigger picture you know making um, the environment more sustainable the marine environment more sustainable for everyone especially those that use it and so um, I'm very happy and I hope that we have been able to sort of touch on the very um, important points and for the ones we haven't touched on of course we will continue with our next um episode i'm sure yeah but i wondered yes. if you wanted to say anything else because this is actually december and the next podcast will be in 2020 so oh i don't know my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah i know
1: yeah yeah oh my god yeah so i think that we have covered quite a bunch right like we've covered well fish, criminality C as a topic the, it's driver's um, its symptoms, um, why it happens basically. So, um, so I think that it's been quite rich as a conversation. Hopefully, we, we have probably not addressed everything. It's a massive topic. We cannot, and social justice. Yes, we have addressed the topic of social justice. We have not called it as such, but it's definitely, we're talking definitely about social justice. It is the end of the year almost. We're in December 2019. And yeah. oh my God, 2020 is coming up. And I feel that, uh, you know, time's, you know, passes by so quickly. And this year was quite full. I mean, I'm really happy that Spyglass came out finally. Spyglass.fish for our listeners, not readers, <laughs> for our listeners again, uh, yeah. you know, spread the word. Like, I think we have visited quite a number of places. Uh, we have shared it with a, a number of governments, actually, who have expressed really um, interest in the topic and, and in the platform. We've still, we're still building it. Um. Um, and adding information to it. So if you have any stories, I have been receiving like more and more stories or fishermen who are willing to share their stories. I'm adding that aspect too into the platform because it's important to know why fishermen do what they do. Um, the drivers, that what pushes them to engage in criminality at sea. And I think it's important to hear the, their stories. And I have been talking to convicted fishermen um, and gathering those stories. So if you know of anyone who wants to share their story, this is to our listeners. I will be more than happy to listen to them
0: and write them. Okay. Well, great. And yes, I, I think also this would be a good way to sort of intimate that we would really appreciate it if maybe our listeners, if you have, um, if there is um sort of any topic or any area that you'd like us to touch on, or, you know, someone we can invite, or even you as a listener, you'd like to come on board and, and chat with us about Issues relating to everything Africa. It doesn't have to be maritime security. It doesn't have to be related to the maritime environment or or uh, maritime. It can be anything. It could be research. It could be it could be medicine. It could be something. But so long as it has to do with the African continent, um, please um, contact us um, either by making a comment or through our our um, Twitter accounts, which is either, you know, I'm trying to, I don't, oh my God, I don't have the, the Twitter name of Han. <laughs> so I, I am so sorry. So it is, um, you can reach us on Twitter via African Joe Paddy. Actually, our Twitter name is at Joe Paddy, which is G O. Sorry, G-E-O-R-P-A-D-Y. So our Twitter handle is at Joe Paddy. G-E-O-R-P-A-D-Y. So you can either send us a DM and we'll be very happy to contact you, um, to have a chat with you and, and to share your whatever you have to share with us, with our listeners. So thank you so much and have a very... A very happy Christmas to everyone celebrating and a prosperous twenty twenty. We hope to see you in twenty twenty and thank you for being with us so far.
1: Thank you everyone for supporting us. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Bye everyone.